millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. So I hope you're all doing well. This episode was recorded during lockdown. Uh, it was recorded over Zoom. And today's guest is comedian, author, and podcaster extraordinaire, uh, James Acaster. Uh, and what I now know about James, he's also um, a, as much of an anorak for music as me. So you're in for a treat. Um, we've had a, a smashing chat, which we will get on to in a moment. But before, um, just want to say thank you to Scroobius Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. Um, big thanks to 76 for producing this podcast. Um, if this is your first um, Off the Beaten Track podcast you've listened to, then why not go and have a little rummage around in the archives because um, there's a bundle of of goodies in there uh, from other comedians, uh, loads of musicians and producers and actors. Go and have a, a little look in the, in the back catalogue and see if anything takes your fancy um also if you've listened to all of them uh, and you're still wanting some more then i have a patreon uh, page as well so you can go over there and i put up loads of exclusive episodes and content over there each week um i think we're done i think i can get on with the episode so it gives me great pleasure to say please enjoy off the beat and track podcast with james acaster i've got an announcement Save Our Souls Clothing, www.sosclothing.co.uk. Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South End on Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? 
So go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15. B-E-A-T-1-5. And that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk Official sponsors of Off The Beaten Track Podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off The Beaten Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Right, we're recording. Uh, sitting opposite me today via the means of Zoom. We're recording this one in the, the quarantine that we're finding ourselves in. Is James Acaster. Hello. Hey, mate. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. We've, we've just touched on the fact that we've, we've never met. We've got lots of mutual friends yeah. um, in uh, in the shape of Scroobius Pip uh, and and Rich Wilson and Jade Adams yeah. and, uh, and Mr. Goldstein. Um, and so, yeah, it's, and, and, and it's great that I finally got round to, uh, to meeting you and you're going to talk music, which is my favourite thing to do as well. Thank you so much um, for having me on. Yeah, I... Uh... Talking about, talking about music, even now more than ever, is just the greatest. Like, I love it, but like during lockdown, it's brilliant. Have you found yourself listening to more music then? Okay, yeah, I kind of obsessively listen to music a lot anyway. And maybe I'd, I'd be interested to know if I have listened to more or less, because normally I spend most of my time traveling around uh, as a comic and, I, and, and also living, living in London in general, you're most of the time on the tube and whatever. So, like, I'm constantly listening to stuff normally on headphones and walking around. And so I don't know if I've like listened to more or less stuff in the lockdown. I've definitely had more kind of like sitting down and listening to things and taking the time, like put a record on and listen to it and relaxed rather than just constantly listen to it in my headphones, sitting in the back of an Uber or whatever. So um, I'm paying attention to it more when I do listen to it. I feel more connected to it and more like I'm engaging with it more. Well, before we actually get on with the, the playlist then, I just want to touch on something that you said then in regards to you said you sit down and you put on a record. Mm-hmm. Is, is that so? I mean, when, you, when you're in a cab and you've got your headphones on, is that generally sort of playlists and things like that? Or do you try and listen to an album as a, as a body of work? Yeah, I think my favourite way to listen to music is an album just all the way through and appreciate the whole thing and really get into it and let it grow on you and... Um, go over and over but like i then i think i have to have like little breaks in between that where sometimes i make a playlist because i was fancy making a playlist and it's very satisfying to listen to it yeah. it tends to be playlists that i've made that i listen to i don't really listen to other people's playlists um which is you know weird because really that's what playlists the, the purpose they serve is to recommend new music to people but i just enjoy this to my favorite songs you know, one after the other but yeah, and like sometimes I get really obsessed with one song, and I'll just listen to it over and over. D- during the lockdown, I've, I've had like a two days where I was obsessed with um, Transdermal Celebration by Ween, and couldn't stop listening to it because I've started watching these uh, YouTube reaction videos by guitar teachers and drum teachers and stuff. And this is one guy; it's very charismatic fella. Was watching this Ween song I hadn't heard it before, and just 
seeing how good the song was, but also his genuine first reaction to it, and he'd get excited and trying to learn the solo, and just his enthusiasm was infectious and couldn't stop listening to it for yeah for quite a while. Okay, well, let's let's start the track list. So for track one, please, James. I mean, I don't know your answers, so I'm I'm, I'm intrigued, and I mean the fact that we're already talking about Ween, I think we're going to be in for a good chat. So um, for track one, please, James, the song with the greatest ever intro. Yeah. So, very difficult. It's a very good question. Uh, I was torn between, like, you know, short intros, long intros. But I like, I I really have a lot of respect for long intros that um, have a lot of, like, climbing guitars and stuff. And the the ultimate version of that, I think, is a song called Throw Down the Sword by Wishbone Ash, who are a band that I like because my dad likes them. dad got so he'll be happy about this but like uh argus by wishbone ash is like this kind of cult classic record and my dad would play it around the house a lot and i think it's the final song on it is throw down the sword and it's just this very medieval kind of climbing guitar lines and they're all like there's often there's three guitarists in the band and they often just play together and just like triple up certain lines and the intro goes on, goes on for ages before you, because it feels like the song starts when someone sings uh, with, with this particular song. It's not the case with every song, but with this one, when they sing, when, when the singer starts singing, you go, okay, now we're into the song. But until that, it's people just do this, and it's constantly building, and you're like, where's this going? And it takes ages, but you're not like frustrated by it sometimes. I feel like people build build to stuff in music and never give you the payoff and it's annoying and you're like, just hurry up and start the song. But with this, it's like with each and every one you feel like you're going into battle or something. The whole album, like on the front cover of the album, there's like a, a warrior with like a helmet on and a, and a spear. And like a lot of the, there's a song called Warrior on the album and a lot of the songs are kind of uh, conjure up that sort of medieval um, soldier could have uh, gone into battle and that last song which I guess is just called Throw Down the Sword is about you know stopping all that but it still feels like you're going into you're marching into this battle and then it segues into this very quite calming uh, verse so it's, it's a it's a very satisfying introduction that kind of then smooths out and goes where you don't expect it to Can you like in regards to the way that the, the music starts and you know with an intro and then the, the sort of journey that it'd take and can you draw any parallels from like stand up to, to that like do you come on and try and sort of like grab them by the ball straight away or is it you know how, could you, do you know what I'm trying to say yeah there's loads of different ways that people can like start shows and definitely when you start off and stand up one of the things that you're trying to figure out the most is how do I start like I've got to go on and you know talk to these people but i'm not sure how and it used to be that i'd go on and be like how are you all doing and like ask them how they were and stuff and and it just felt really artificial and rubbish and i didn't like having to say hello at the start every time and like hi and like because i felt like i was being like do you like me immediately like are we friends and am i likable and um some people that really works but i think it works because that's genuinely who they are as the person uh and for me, I quickly found that, like, almost the less of an intro, the better. As I've gone on, I've been doing stand-up now for 12 years. Yeah. But um, the more it's progressed, the shorter the intros have got to now I just kind of go on and start the first routine without any kind of 
introduction a lot of the time i just like go in and uh, a lot of gigs and just start the routine and you realize people don't really need that from you i went through a long period of just saying thanks then they'd applaud and then when that died down i'd go thanks and then like that would get far <laughs> but then like you know i would kind of think oh that's maybe a bit a bit Stuart Lee or a bit um, uh, Stephen Wright or people like that. Yeah, and, you know, so you try and like, find your own kind of your own energy. And definitely because I like music so much, I do think of it sometimes in terms of like how certain albums are like start and that they don't, you know, try and work their way in and like fill the room out. And they, they just go, here's the album and here's what we're going to do. So when you're doing a solo show, I think just going on and setting the tone immediately is more important than shaking hands with the audience and trying to be friends with them. But yeah, it depends what you're doing, really. Okay. Track two, James. The first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you? Yeah. Um, so for ages, I just listened to songs because I thought they were funny. Um, when I what well, like? Well, like I just like. Um, uh, Let's Get Ready to Rumble by PJ and Duncan and stuff like that. Songs that I thought like, just that they weren't like comedy songs, but like they were just fun. And, um, you know, I was a kid, so like seven or whatever. So like, you know, you just kind of listen to stuff. It, it had to have something about it that was amusing. The Lion Sleeps Tonight is a hilarious song, but it's also brilliant. So like stuff like that. I think the first time I remember kind of being like, oh, this is actually a different kind of feeling and yeah, what, what, what I'd call emotional is probably um, Champagne Supernova by Oasis was probably the first time. Like for me, it's almost like it's the, in my head, it's like the original, you know, slow song because like I hadn't really bothered listening to anything like that before that I really liked or resonated with me. But then that song, um, at the end, I, I was really obsessed with that album when I was like, I guess I was, 10 or 11 or something and listening to that album a lot and I just thought it was such a great closer and yeah it did feel the first time I kind of was like oh I'm not listening to this for a laugh like <laughs> I do, I'm kind of feeling a bit more than that yeah. some sort of like connection there which is when you're that age you can't really articulate what those feelings are so you wouldn't know what that emo- in, in retrospect now what do you think that emotion was um, it probably was nice that song made me feel a little bit sad in a good way, melancholy. So, like, uh, I think that's probably still one of my favourite emotions is melancholy. <laughs> and, uh, like, yeah, that thing of, like, feeling quite, um, like, reflective and uh, and a bit a bit sadder and, and that the whole thing isn't just this upbeat yeah. lark and it's a bunch of people having a laugh. It is, it is a bit more... Uh, contemplating you know you can, you can just um connect with that different part of yourself i think sad songs i would i can i would associate more with emotional songs you know yeah even though there's plenty of emotional songs that aren't sad but when i think of emotional songs i probably think more of like something that's talking about quite a relatable sadness yeah that you don't feel as alone with it um, even though the lyrics to Champagne Supernova, I didn't understand them. It's probably the chords I was responding yeah. to more. I didn't understand what he was on about. I still don't fully understand. Yeah, I have I no idea what he's going on about in that. My, my, you know, and I knew that he was talking about drugs, which obviously mm. I couldn't relate to at all. 
I couldn't relate to that now, let alone when I was 10 or 11. I wasn't thinking I didn't. My people were so, where were you when we were getting high? I was like, I don't know what that's about. I've <laughs> never, never wondered where my mate is while I'm getting high before. So, so are you are you someone that if you're feeling melancholy, you go and reach for a Leonard Cohen album or do you put on something really positive and upbeat to try and like change that? Or do you like to sort of, you know, enjoy the melancholy and, and, and soundtrack it with something equally as melancholy? I think it depends if there's reasons for me feeling that way. If something really bad has happened or, you know, upsetting has happened or whatever, and I'm feeling bad and there's yeah. something genuine that's provoked it, I think putting on a sad album is, is I just know it's a bad idea. Yeah. Whereas if I'm just feeling like it for no real reason, it is quite nice to lean into it and go, well, it's, it's okay. Yeah. Pretty much get out of this whenever I want, but like <laughs> nice to yeah put on a bit more of a sadder album or often put on a bit more of a nostalgic album. Something that, you know, one of my favorites, you know, like a, something that I would regard as a classic and, a, you know, quite a, formative album or seminal album to me and put that on and feel those kind of like, Oh yeah, I remember where I was when I was listening to this and like oh, time, time, time passes. How, how sad. So like, I'm more likely to do that. Yeah. From just feeling in that mood for no reason. But if something bad has happened, and I'm feeling bad. Probably what I'm more likely to do is watch a, like a really mindless sitcom put on something that I don't have to think about at all, watch it and stuff. And then like music wise, I'm probably more likely to try and find new stuff. And then the thrill of finding something new that I like music wise will cheer me up and get me out of that, uh, that funk. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you mentioned Wishbone Ash earlier and, and that was something that you heard um, for your dad. Mm. Um, was there a lot of music on at home growing up? Yeah, yeah, my dad um, got quite a big record collection. Um, I think actually when I was younger, at one point he sold all of his records and then had to build them up again. So he sold all of his vinyl and then he had to build up from CDs and tapes. But as soon as I you know, got into music and realised how much I loved it, I would just go through his library of things and try and pick stuff out and listen to things. And he would play stuff around as well. My mum would... Uh, I didn't have as big a collection, but would play music like loud in the kitchen or whatever, or wherever she was. Like I said, the kitchen, like it was this misogynistic household. That, that That's just where the stereo was. <laughs> so it, that's where my mum would put music on. But like, uh, yeah, she would listen to Bruce Springsteen. So like, Bruce Springsteen is what I remember most from my mum playing, and REM is probably what I remember most from my dad playing in terms of like the things that I liked. So I'd listen to both of those quite a lot growing what, up. What REM albums were they? Well, he had most, well, he had most of them since they got signed to the major label. Um, the ones that I remember listening to the most were Out of Time and New Adventures in Hi-Fi. But at that point, I was probably, was I a teenager when New Adventures in Hi-Fi came out? Maybe not. I think I was younger, but like those ones I was list- I listened to a lot and really loved. And he probably played Automatic for the People more because it's his favourite one. Yeah. 
but I don't remember hearing it as much growing up and I don't have as much of a connection with that album now as an adult. Like I like it and I put it in my top five REM, REM albums. But What's your number one? I'm curious. I'm a very big yeah. REM fan. New Adventures in Hi-Fi is my number one. I mean, really? Yeah. And like, I, I mean, probably partly because it was what I listened to most growing up, but still now when I listen to all of their albums, I really love the sounds they've got on that record. I love the hooks. Uh, my favourite REM song is Evo the Letter. And uh, I just think it's incredible, that song. It's like one of the best songs ever by any band. And also I read this book about REM and I loved how they made that album on the road and they recorded it in sound checks and some of them are live tracks that you wouldn't know. Some of it in dressing rooms and some of it's in the studio. And... I just don't think there's a bad track on the album, whereas there's other REM albums where I can like, go in and out of it. But like, my, you know, I'll probably go that and then I would say out of time. But then I, I would probably put, I'm a big fan, again, this is my age and just where I was when I was getting into them. And it's also, I think, the last good album they made, but some people would probably go before this. But I'm a big fan of Up. I really like that album ups their pet sands i think that's their little nod to to wilson i really do believe that and it it was the album that i kind of signed off with rem with that one yeah Yeah, uh, that's a good point to go i'm done yeah but i think you're right i think the songs like at my most beautiful and stuff oh what a stunning record each boys very brian wilson Mm. and um and i like that it was kind of the last time they were challenged. They were challenging themselves with every album they did. Yeah. And then that one was a massive challenge because Bill Berry left. And so they got in a drum machine and they, I think they recorded it in Hawaii with a drum machine, the three of them. And you can hear them just like trying to make the most out of uh, what they've got. Yeah. And it's a very, that's a very sad album. It's probably one of their most depressing sounding albums. Mm. And then after that, I found, they just repeat themselves for a few yeah, years. Yeah, I agree. Uh, back to their glory days. But everything up until then, I'd happily sit down and listen to. And uh, yeah, I'm trying to think now what my actual top five would be now that I've said that. But like, anyway, yeah. But, uh, I'm going to throw Green and Life's Rich Pageant in there for sure. They're, 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 yeah. my two, they're my two faves. Green is very, like, oh. I definitely, that era of um, document going into Green of like signing to the major label. Um, and the singles on those albums. I mean, Green's yeah, Green would probably be my top five because it's got Orange Crush on it, and it's and that's like the first REM song I heard. My dad put it on a mixtape uh, for me, and um, I just thought that was some, that song's amazing. There's a, there's a track on Green called Hair Shirt, and that's my favourite REM record ever. I think it's a oh, beautiful, yeah. beautiful record. Yeah, yeah. Okay, James, track three, the song that reminds you of your time at school. Um, so just, it's a, it was the first number one that I remember. So the first song that I remember everyone talking about, it's in primary school, but it was Boom, Boom, Boom by the Out Here Brothers was the first <laughs> song that I remember everyone singing. Also singing the dirty version. There was a rude version. So kids were yeah. like enjoying singing that. And it's the graphic as well, that dirty, but look, it was not, I mean, I'd, I'd be, I wouldn't feel comfortable if one of my mates now was singing it. Yeah. Like, let alone when we were all in primary school. But it was the first time I remember everyone in school talking about a song was that yeah. song. And um, and also thinking that it was, like, incredibly catchy. And I tried to buy it. And the 
lady in our price wouldn't sell it to me because I was too young, which is <laughs> the only time that's ever happened. Did yeah, it have the parental advisory sticker on it then? It did, yeah. But like, I've, I've never, you know, been checked for that before. But she was just like, can't sell this. So she's probably a hundred percent Christian. But like, she's just like, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just didn't, didn't, didn't get sold to the ad. So I think I, instead I bought like, Big Yellow Taxi by Amy Grant, like a cover of that. Yeah. I didn't know what it was like. I just bought it because it was on the shelf. And I got in my head, I'm yeah. buying a single today, which is still the case with me now. And why well, my life is extremely dangerous now that we can just buy music on the internet. Because yeah. anytime I decide I'm just going to buy something, I just go on and then go on an absolute spree. But yeah, back then, if I went to our price and I got it in my head, I was going to buy an album or a single. If it wasn't there, I'd have to buy something else. Yeah. Did you enjoy school? No. Um, and like, not for any logical reason. Like, most people don't like school because either they like, they weren't like, they found it's too hard or something, or like maybe they got bullied, or maybe like the, um, you know, there's just something about the, it's the nightmare and they were getting in trouble every day or whatever it was. And I was actually quite a good kid, didn't get in trouble very much. Did well in my lessons. Yeah. No one bullied me. Like, you know, like no, no more than anyone else gets where you have, like, run into some of the dickhead kids. But, like, I'd never have, like, you know, never got bullied. But I just didn't I, – I, 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 I feel I'm making more sense of it now as an adult, especially under lockdown, actually, of realising how much I don't actually enjoy being in big social groups where you have to figure out how to behave and uh, you're constantly being like, right, that, you know, that person's in the room now and they're, you know, because I, I, even though I never got bullied, I'm fucking terrified of bullies. So like I was constantly, which is probably why I'm a comedian as well, as like that thing of obsession with being funny and making people laugh. It wasn't make them laugh so they don't hit you, but like definitely that kept you feeling safe and in the, like, you know, people are laughing at me, I'm okay, no one's going to give me any shit. But, yeah, I think I, I definitely overthought stuff in school and was constantly trying to keep on the right side of everyone. And I've only really got one friend from school I'm still in touch with who I think was the one person who, when I hung out with them, I was just being myself completely. And uh, and that you know, was, was cool and felt good. I felt relaxed. Everybody else, you know, I, I, I kind of felt like at one point that, you know, I had quite a lot of friends in school. When I was in school, I think I thought of myself as like, I've got loads of mates. And actually, I didn't. I was just quite good at, like, keeping in with people. But yeah. the way people were in my school anyway, I found, there was a lot of people who were, uh, you know, I suppose kids in general, but they're quite keen to point out, like, those shoes are shit, that pencil case is shit, or whatever. And so I was just constantly in my head about, like, not being called, you know, not being told that certain things I liked was shit or whatever. And so especially when I started, when I got into alternative music and I liked Nirvana and stuff like that, I started hanging out with the alternative kids. I thought, great, like this is it now. I'm free of all that. Like, yeah. not I had to hang out with all the you know kids who were following all the latest trends and stuff, and they pick you up if you if your Adidas bottoms, you know, aren't, aren't as cool as someone else's Adidas bottoms. I don't have to do that anymore. We can just be ourselves. And then I realized quite quickly, that's not the case. 
this other group has its own set of rules. <laughs> yeah. I was at one of my friends' houses and I was wearing an Umbro t-shirt and they were like, what the fuck is that? What are you wearing that for? I was like, I like it. It's a good t-shirt. And they were like, we're, we're not in, we, we, we don't wear that kind of stuff. The townies yeah. wear that. That's what we call them in my mind. Or trendies, trendies and townies. They wear that. We, we don't wear that. And I was like, oh, fuck's sake. Like, this, <laughs> this is the same in this group. And like, I, I, I thought, and you realise, oh, you're not actually genuine, like, people who like this kind of music and all this kind of stuff. You actually, you wish you were the cool kids. You couldn't be. And so you've formed your own subsect where you get to be the coolest kid in this group. Yeah. Uh, and it's such a headache. And- do you know what? It's strange, though, isn't it? How how tribal it was then, and and it was this, you know, and it was the same, you know, ten years before that, when you know, we, we, in what was going on in alternative music for, for me and, and and my my kind of formative years in that as well, um, doesn't really exist anymore. There's not huge tribes in in music, you know. Um, I run a, a an alternative. Um, nightclub and for years when i was djing i could see the people that were coming through the doors and i would see what they were wearing i would know exactly what records to play that would relate to them and you walk down the street and you'd be like right and, I, and i'm going to use some l- really lazy terms here but you know that kid's into shoegaze that kid's a grunger you know yeah. that that kid's an indie kid and and you know and all of them kind of identities have always just sort of disappeared really there's there's kind of like a united top shop window that that seems to tick all boxes now which i think yeah. is as much as you know you were saying like oh fuck's sake now i've got to kind of work out what me grunge outfit's gonna be now i've got in the nirvana yeah. but that stuff's gone i do think there is a bit of a shame that that kind of tribalism mm. like them youth cultures don't seem to be as sort of defined in their outfits and their 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 stylings anymore apart from metalers metalers are just die hard till the day they die yeah they're doing <laughs> yeah now you've just got yeah, you just got hipsters, really. That yeah. Kind of covers all of it, which, um, you know, I definitely like, I think I liked, um, I definitely like it when people get into a style of music and they embrace all of that stuff yeah. and dress like it. Um, I think I just hated it when they would then look at you and go, why aren't you doing this? Like, why the fuck do you care? Yeah. What are you talking about? Like, we both like that band and, and neither of us are bad people. Can we just hang out and enjoy that? Because it's quite. Because uh, yeah, I do like it. I, I definitely don't want everyone to be the same. So I do like it if you go in someone's house and whatever, and like you can tell like their identity is everywhere and what they're into and yeah uh, and all that stuff. And that is nice. And it, it is a shame now in a way that it's almost it's almost the extreme version of that where there is just this whatever music you're in. It has to be one massive. You know, army of we all dress like this and we all look like this if we're yeah. cool and then outside of that isn't and it can be all styles of music but like yeah that that kind of it just extends to that as well you know when yeah. like I, I, I've I've had many gigs as a comedian where I've gigged in places that are quite hipstery like Shoreditch or like you know there's, when you go to other countries as well you quickly learn what the hipster part of town is and I've said very kind of like sulky things on stage about how hips are the air because I, I just don't like I know, you just kind of go oh, fuck off it's <laughs> not for the most of the reasons that people don't like hipsters it's just like um it's just the coolness of it people trying to be cool just really wears me down i'm like that's yeah. not who you are you don't not care about this way like stop trying to be cool you're an adult now yeah. why are you trying to be cool um still um yeah so like yeah sorry yeah what did you want to be when you was at school 
when I was at school, I wanted it to be loads of stuff. And I, I remember telling my form tutor that when I was older, she, she, was, she was, you know, it was part of the lesson. And she was like, what do you want to be? And I said, I'm going to be a musician, an actor, and a cartoonist. I think I said those three things. And she said, well, you've got to pick one. And also, any one of them is going to be really hard. And I was like, well, I remember just looking at me and I'm like, well, yeah, I, I want to be one of them. But like, I, I kind of want to do them all. So I was like, well, right now, I play the drums. I really enjoy drama class and I do cartoons in my spare time. So I'm doing all three of them now and I'm a kid. So it can't be that hard when you're an adult. Yeah. So I was like, I don't understand why I'm being discouraged. And that teacher actually showed up to see me on tour um, in 2014 and absolutely ruined the gig. She was drunk with her mates on the front row and was just they were just talking, shouting, putting their feet on the stage, walking around and shouting across the room to one another. And everyone complained afterwards about them. There was an article written about them in the local paper. And she refused afterwards to, to, to admit that she had fucked the show up. She contacted me on Facebook going, great gig. I don't know why everyone was so, so, so uptight. And I kind of replied, to her, was, could you ruined it for everyone? They paid to see the show. You ruined it. And she was like, no, I didn't. And then eventually when the article came out, she admitted that she did. Because I, I didn't stop hearing from her until like that came out. She kept on replying to me going, do you know what? You're wrong. I did not ruin that. And I was like, I was like, listen, you're not my teacher anymore. You're both adults. I work in this industry and I'm telling you, you ruined that gig. Yeah. And that's just what happened. And like eventually I had to just be like, here's. And, and, and that was part of school as well. I didn't really like, there were some teachers I really liked, but the, there were some teachers who didn't, I didn't like. And there's one teacher, especially, I think I've spoke about her at length on a different podcast, but who took an active dislike to me. And uh, she's one of the people that whenever I think about her, I, I literally want to be in the room with her again. So that as an adult, I can articulate everything I couldn't say when I was 11 uh, and 12. I just say to her, like, here's all the reasons why what you did was really messed up and you shouldn't have spoke to a kid like that. But uh, yeah, nothing. Every time people go, best years of your life, I'm like, well, I don't know how bad your life is now, mate. But like school, I wouldn't go back to school if you paid me. Hate it. What was the first record you bought in a record shop, James? It was the single. It, it was so the first single I bought was Thunder by E17. Um, <laughs> I hadn't even heard it. I just bought like, E17 was like the cool band. Uh, yeah. In my primary school, most people talk about E17 more than Take That. Like, yeah. they kind of, they were, you know, E17 were tougher, that like, they yeah. could handle themselves more in a fight. And so you, we were all going to E17. And so I just bought that single just because everyone at school was going on yeah. about them. I hadn't heard it until I got home and played it. I uh, thought it was fine. Um, and, and, like, I don't think I – I think I got given albums as, like, presents and stuff, but I don't think I bought an album until I bought Nevermind. I don't – I think that's the case anyway. I think that, like, that was the first thing that I bought. Hello, Hannah. Well <laughs> – you're looking for I'm some laptop. your work laptop. Uh, not in here. I think didn't you leave it in the living room? Uh, <laughs> she's gone. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think I bought an album until I bought Nevermind when I was thirteen. I think that's when I bought an album for the first time. So let's let's talk about Nevermind uh, for a bit then. Um, 
I mean, for a first album, for somebody as well that, you know, uh, you'd mentioned like the, the kind of disposable pop of PJ and Duncan and, 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 and I guess they're at their brothers and stuff. Like, for me, I think Nevermind is one of the greatest pop albums ever made. I think it's an incredible record. Uh, and I know it wasn't one of Kurt's favourites and he's, you know, the, the Butch Vig production's been discussed and stuff like that. But I think in regards to, as a DJ... I can play any one of them tracks and it'll get yeah. a response. There's not many albums that have that. And I think that's mm. just because of the quality of the hooks and, and, and just the, the pop sensibilities that, that, that Kurt had in his songwriting. Like, does that album still stand up for you? Yeah. It's still one of my favorite albums ever. Like, uh, I was listening to it the other day. Um, it's, it's sitting here. Like it's, I, I just kind of got into like albums as a concept, I think. I think that it was around that time where there's loads of top 100 albums of all time lists on yeah. uh, on on TV. They did like loads of top 100 shows for ages when Talking Head shows, and Nirvana were in there with Nevermind, and they showed a clip of them doing Smells Like Teen Spirit live. And I think I turned to my dad and just said, "This isn't music. This is this is horrible." And then like. Like within a year, it was like my favourite album, um, and I, I, I made the trans. I think Kerrang did uh, a top 100 albums of all time list, and at that point, like I wasn't into that kind of music at all. But my friend uh, Stephen Nichols was, and he had that copy of Kerrang, and so I, I read it and saw that they were number one with that album. And I was like, oh, that was in that show, that TV show, and now it's there. And I just became really obsessed with. Actually, I really need to. I need to listen to this whole album, which I hadn't really felt like that before. And I was. I just really wanted to hear an album, even though I hadn't liked it the first time I heard a song from it. And I like the production on it. I think the production's great. I, mm, I like I how, um, uh, bold it is, and everything's like double tracked and stuff. And it's like got quite a sweet quality to that production. Um, and yeah, every single song, I love the hooks on it. I really now as an adult appreciate his vocals way more than I did as a oh, teenager. God. I think the teenager, I took vocals for like a good singer for granted or listening to him now, especially when you see him on like, uh, the live album, the unplugged in New York album, and you go, his voice was incredible. Like his tone was amazing. The expression in his voice, like everything about Nevermind, I still love and still kind yeah. of like, and it, it takes me back, but it also, I feel like it's grown up with me. And it's one of those records where when I bought it, I think a lot of people were telling me, you'll grow out of this. Like this won't be something that you like when you're older. Yeah. And I still, I think I, I love it even more now because I feel like I, that, that connection's still there, but I understand it more now. I think it was quite a surface level enjoyment of the album when I first yeah. got it. And now I think you know, just every layer of that album, uh, I just kind of listen to it and I don't really know how they did this in a way. Like it's so rare for someone to write, to reinvent like just the format of guitar, bass and drums completely with an album and like do something that other people get a sound out of that that other people weren't getting and write such consistently catchy songs for a whole record is also lightning in a bottle i don't know how you, you know you even do that yeah so yeah and, and yeah like i say i like the production on it I, I like um the the punchy drums and uh i like the that that kind of like there's one of the songs that starts off with one of them doing that 
noise and the bass kind of has that quality to the whole album as well yeah. like, like i yeah I, I i can't say enough good things about it and i think i've only loved it more as time's gone on brilliant so let's move forward a couple of years james um the song that soundtrack your years clubbing right when you said clubbing is that it can be in indie clubs it can be in rock clubs oh, it can oh, be... okay okay because like okay so because I thought, when it originally said that, I thought it meant me doing the comedy circuit, doing the comedy clubs, because I wasn't really much of a clubber. But um, I, for a while, we did attend for a very like short period of my life when I went and like would dance in clubs and stuff, like a two-year window, um, if that. And also, I wasn't drinking uh, then. I, I didn't start drinking until like my late... 20s really like in terms of like you know socially drinking sure sure. but before I I liked the odd drink but I I didn't enjoy getting drunk and then I didn't so when I was actually going out and dancing I was always doing it completely sober and really enjoyed that as well I think I kind of had a bit of a badge of honor that I was dancing like everybody else but I wasn't drunk and they were and and I'm I don't need it to have a good time this is great (laughs) kind of attitude of 18 19 but um, I think round then, so Catherine had like a few places where you'd go. You go to the Prince of Wales, um, most most nights of the week, you know, most kind of Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Thursday. Like nowadays, you know, people in Catherine only go out one night a week. And that's, you know, thanks to you know, how much the, the Tories have fucked everyone over and people can't afford to go out that often. But like when I was younger, uh, we were, you know, most nights Catman was pretty busy. And if you were into alternative music, you'd end up in the Prince of Wales. Although I can't remember like songs, specific songs that they would play that would be like, this is it. Once a month though, there was a night called Kenny's Dead <laughs> uh, in a club called Club Excess, which isn't there anymore. It's a car park now, but like it was originally, it's like, like an airplane hangar. And, um, the song, I've talked about this on another podcast, but uh, I can't change my answer because it is true. That, but the main song that like I would always associate with Kenny's Dead was um, New Noise by a band called Refused. And um, if you haven't heard Refused, um, their album, The Shape of Punk to Come, is I think an essential record. It's a experimental, like hardcore punk album where they throw every single genre they possibly can at the, at the album. And New Noise was a song that my friend Graham um, requested and the DJ didn't have it. So the next month he bought it along with him and gave it to him. And the guy played it because it was someone's birthday and then it became a regular fixture because everyone loved it so much. But but what was great was it was a song that nobody knew. Um, So all the other songs he was playing were big alternative hits that everyone knew. And then this New Noise song, which goes through different passages of like a really heavy like hardcore vibe into like an electronic kind of feel out of nowhere and and, like it was a really powerful song really really quiet passages that suddenly explode into quite um like angsty loud uh sections and it was an epic song as well it's like six minutes or something and it just became this thing that everyone who went to that club loved this song 
and probably outside of there, no one even knew what that song was. And yeah. every time it played, there were quotes. And also, he played the song in its entirety, which includes at the end the singer just doing a bit on his own. I, I still, even though I've listened to that album repeatedly, I've got it on vinyl. It's one of my favourite records. I still don't know what the singer is saying at the end of the song. But he just go, Frey's going, yeah, 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 like for quite a long time. That's a very poor impression of him, but I'm not going to try and do a good one. But we would all just be there while he's doing that bit for a long time on his punch in the sky and, and doing the squawk along with him. Like, so that would be like the, the thing I associate most with being in a nightclub. And that, um, that come from your friend actually burning the CD and taking it down there as well? Yeah, came from my friend giving the DJ the, the song, um, which I think my friend had it on a uh, a, a sampler album. So it wasn't even, he didn't even have the album. I don't think he'd even listened to the album. Yeah. But he'd heard it on this one thing and was like, oh, this is brilliant. And um, actually, he didn't buy the album. Weirdly, I ended up buying the album before him. So, like, he was the one who got us all into this band, didn't buy the album. And then my other friend, Ben Foote, had got the album, put some songs from it on a compilation for me. And I was like, well, these other two songs are awesome. So that's three amazing songs. I want to so I'll, I'll buy the album now. I was quite surprised. My friend Graham was like, Oh, I actually don't own the album. I'll check it out as well. And then we all got obsessed with the album. But um, yeah, that song was like, he bought it there. The DJ loved it and played it every, every month. And that's a brave it. thing to give a DJ a record. I mean, it's, it's happened to me. Yeah. I've, you know, it, it, maybe like in the, in the nineties, I'd have like kind of like local bands giving me their CD sound. Will you put it on? And I'll be like, I'll have to take it home and have a listen first. And, sure. and a lot of the time, it was really badly recorded. But somewhere, the only time it's ever happened where someone's gone, have you heard this? I've burnt it because it was sound good. Was, do you know To Hell With Good Intentions by McCluskey? No, I know McCluskey. Uh, yeah. Obviously, they're awesome. But I don't know that song, which is, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very sorry, Falco, if you're listening to this. Because <laughs> he knows I'm a big fan of him. But I should I should know that song. Apologies. You would have heard it, James. You would have heard it. It's it's, it's yeah. incredible. Uh, and and I'd not heard of the band. And this guy went, put this on. Trust me. And I just thought it was quite early in the night. And I was like, oh fuck it, I'll, I'll just stick it on. And I was like, what is this? And then to yeah. that day, that tune. Well, it was a bit of a big tune, but not necessarily right across the indie clubs. Like you say, it was one that people would come to my club and be like can you play that song by that band? And I'll be like, I know what you mean. And like, yeah, absolutely. Hello. I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and search off the beat and track podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I put How would you like to look 5 years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking 5 years younger at 6 months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there... I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. Track six, James, a favourite song from an artist from your home county. Yeah, there was a lot of, I was very lucky to grow up in um, Northamptonshire when I did, when the live scene was pretty vibrant and there was like loads of different types of bands playing at the time and my friends were in a band called the retro spankies who were they were really into stuff like blur and pavement but also like weirder uh, music as well poly six and, and bands like that and they were my first like friends to kind of have an album launch and we all went to it and it was very exciting and they uh, they've released two albums so far um i love both of them one's called I know you are, but what am I? And the other one is called Mega Vengeance. And I would say that my favourite song, but it's very hard to choose actually because I like, I do like both albums a lot and I feel like I'm picking an album if I pick one. Um, I think I think Hit the Electricity is my favourite song by Retro Spankies. And like, yeah, that that's the one that, I personally like. I saw them play it live for ages. It's, it's, it took them a very long time to record their second album, years and years. So it's a song that I would see live a lot, and always really love it live. And was really looking forward to. I was pestering them for quite a long time to record the album because I was like, I really want to own that song, and I was quite impatient. And then eventually, like when they, they actually contacted me. I think before they released it to be like, Here's a, here you go, so that I, I could have it <laughs> because I've, I've been uh, pestering them for so long. And it's like a, their second album is more, that they use more keyboards and synths than they do on their first album. Um, but it's always got, it's got, it's like quite upbeat, like lightheartedness to it. So like, like a sense of humour to it, a lot of their music, um, while also being quite 
the vocals, like the instrumentals are upbeat, but then the vocals are always quite down, yeah, a bit more downbeat and sarcastic. And I, I really like how that they rub, that rubs against each other like that. And like, yeah, that this song has a really good, just great breakdown bit where just, the chorus is like suddenly halftime drums and stuff. It sounds yeah. it sounds really wonderful. Well, I, I've not. I've not heard of them. So, and um, what we also do, James, is we put together a Spotify playlist to accompany this. So then uh, I'll, I'll ensure that that's on there, and and people can go and explore well, that I band think, as well. I think that album's not on Spotify, but their first album is on Spotify. Okay. And from that, I would recommend. Um, oh, it's very, again hard to pick a, a song. <laughs> I'd recommend, but because it's so many that I enjoy. Uh, the the last track turf not time is great because again that's what i really love seeing them do live because the, the beginning has this drill sound on it um that live the singer would have this electronic drill around his neck and would play it by he would have to quickly move his guitar up to the drill and and drill into the pickups so that you get the sound of the really, really very short little burst and then you have to go back to playing his guitar it's always, I always love watching that bit of their shows. So yeah, I'd say perfect. I'll put that on there. Um, last track, James, and and it's your turn to play DJ. So it's your opportunity to um, let somebody like d- recommend a song that you think people probably haven't heard of that you would like them to hear. Yeah, very difficult because like most of my most of my life, I think most of my time is trying to find songs that people haven't heard that I can recommend to people and making them listen to them and stuff like that. And, um, I mean, the last few years of my life have been obsessively buying music from 2016 and discovering music that came out in 2016 and discovering loads of uncovered, you know, undiscovered gems and trying to introduce people to try to to convince everyone that all this stuff is good. So you've you've written a book about this year, right? Yeah, I've written a book called Perfect Sound Whatever about my obsession with it and I've got a, a podcast at the minute on BBC Sounds called James Acaster's Perfect Sounds where we talk about a different album each week with a guest who is unfamiliar with that. I've sent them it in advance and they give their... Let's, let's, let's talk about that then before we, before we get on to the track you want to recommend. So um, obviously not content with the hugely successful off-menu. Um, there's, there's another podcast then. So is that just something that you wanted to do because of your love of music yeah like especially just my love of uh, this 2016 project has been a really fun and for me it's been like you know it started out when i was like having quite a rough personal year so like i was saying earlier i i'm more likely to turn to new music at that point and it was just suddenly reconnecting with modern day music rediscovering my love of like new albums and um instead of just buying old stuff all the time and so i just feel it's very personal as well like not only do i love talking about music anyway and i you know i've always wanted to like do a have a radio show about music or a podcast or something like that but on top of that it's quite a personal thing the whole 2016 thing and, and also the longer it goes on for and the more that i discover albums that i like from that year whatever it feels like quite a because as far as i know no one's done it before when they've gone, right, I'm just going to completely plough one year for ages and try and discover new stuff from that year. And the longer it goes on for, the more the feel of the whole project changes to this one of like, 
because you're still discovering new albums all the time. They're just from that year. And people can get annoyed and be like, you're still getting stuff from 2016. It's, like, it's all different. It's all like, I'm not constantly buying stuff by one band. It's yeah. like, and I'm discovering that I like genres that I never knew I liked. And, you know, that there are artists out there who sound completely different to anything I've ever heard before. And, and doing a project like this kind of, if you are someone who obsessively wants to find new music, it actually gives you quite a nice little parameter for like, it kind of narrows it down to, okay, we'll just, just do it within this one year then. But in a time, you know, the 2010s were extremely saturated time for music. So any year really that you picked in the 2010s, you're going to find an infinite amount of albums there that, that you like. And so, yeah, it's just great now to be able to do the podcast and once a week have a comic who are basically forced to listen to an album I like and chat to them about it. And I just love hearing people's uh, takes on, on these records as I'm not one of those people who's very, you know, you don't have to agree with me about it or like the album. I know that I like it. It's fine. I don't have to have everyone like it. So I, I love when people like have extreme reactions to them and what they made of it, you know? Well, this podcast will probably be coming out in about uh, probably two weeks. So by the time this comes out, what episodes could, will, will be available? What, what guests have you got? So we've got Ramesh Ranganathan talking about Lemonade by Beyonce. We've got Phil Wang talking about the uh, experimental punk hip-hop album United Dictators of Europe by Anarchist Republican Buzz. We've got Sophie Duker talking about the punk samba jazz fusion record mm3 by meta meta we've got um jamali maddox talking about the deaf or the yeah the black metal um african-american spirituals fusion like experimental album devil is fine by zealand and i believe we've got jen brister talking about laura laura Mbula's uh, wonderful record, uh, The Dreaming Room. So those are like the first five, I think. Excellent. Um, so if you had to, unless that, that's out weekly on BBC Sounds, yeah? Yes. Cool. So what track are you going to finish on? I think because if I'm going to get people, if I want to get people into all the music from 2016, I would always, first of all, play them. Uh, Just Like I by Zenyo Rubinos. Um, it's the song in my book that I say is the one that if I want to get people into, into the, you know, if, I want to, if I want to convince people that it was the greatest year for music of all time, that's where I'll start. I'll play them that song. It's a very uh, immediate song. Her vocals are amazing, the vocal runs that she does on it. It's, her approach to the album was that she wanted to sound a bit like a punk Beyonce, and that's very much what comes across in this song. The drums have almost a Led Zeppelin quality to them. The guitars are quite heavy as well, but it's still got quite a strong R&B influence running through it. I think it's a very special song. I love the energy on it. I love the sound of her voice. And yeah, I'd, I'd play that to kind of then hopefully, if people like that, that means they'll listen to her entire album, Black Terry Cat, which is amazing and then they can roll from there to the rest of 2016 and all the, all the albums that I like from that year. Wonderful. James, thank you very much. I really thank appreciate you. your time. No, cheers, dude. It's been great. Thank you. 
thank you very much for listening. Well, that was nice, wasn't it? What an absolute gentleman James is. Uh, huge thanks to Colette at BBC Sands for putting that one together for us. Um, thanks to James, obviously, for giving up his time. Uh, and thanks mostly to you lot for listening. As I mentioned at the beginning, why not have a rummage around in the archives of Off the Beaten Track, see if there's any other episodes that, that take your fancy. Um, and as I mentioned as well, we do have a Patreon page as well. You can find out about everything at com. Thanks a lot. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I've butted in yet again. I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now, Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. It's put together alongside Spotify and Acast, and it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about, but definitely about a load of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean, in the first edition, there's interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, and there's features on Jade Adams, and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes. So if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code, and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free so every other month there'll be a new edition out so go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well podbiblemag.com it's off the beat and track podcast on the distraction pieces network with me stew with it 